Please be seated. So we're talking about relationships. Um, we got just a few more Sundays, and as you've seen, this is about having real love in a plastic society, but it's about so much more than just your love relationships. Everything that we're talking about here really applies to our friends, our best friends, it applies to our families, our in-laws, our kids, um, all of our work relationships. And so this is probably one of the most important things that I could talk to you about, and it's also one of the hardest. So we're going to dig into this today. This is from the book of Psalms. Um, it's one of my favorite scriptures. I don't know what this said to me when I was 12 or 13, but this is my Bible from when I was confirmed. My mom gave it to me um, way back in, I don't even know what year. Should we look? Well, whenever it was. It was the early 90s. Um, and I underlined this verse. And so I think it, it not only did it have something to say to me now, um, but it has something to say to me then as a youth. Um, Psalm 16, verses 5 and 6. Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So let's talk about that, about the boundary lines. The psalmist wasn't talking about something conceptual or theoretical. When we think about boundary lines, we usually think of something invisible, intangible, that marks off something, right? Um, but for the psalmist, the boundary lines were really tangible. Because when the people of God inherited the promised land, God made one of the requis requisites be that every family, every family, have their allotted piece of the promised land that would be theirs for eternity, like throughout time. They couldn't even sell it. They could, like, you could buy it, but only until the Jubilee year, and the Jubilee year, all the property reverted. So boundary lines, which said, this is where what's mine begins and where what's yours ends, were very important, and they were marked by stones. So there was a boundary stone that said, this is the boundary, right? And you just kind of fence it off. And the interesting thing is, in Deuteronomy, it is a crime twice mentioned in the book of Deuteronomy to move a boundary stone. Now, do any of y'all have um, neighbors that might try that? Right? I mean, I have a friend who has a neighbor who they seem to be moving the little stake, right, that marks off, you know, when they survey, they seem to be moving the stake. It didn't used to be that close to the mailbox. You know, pretty soon you get home and you're like, that stake is like right there next to my bedroom window, right? Like, when did that happen? It's a crime to mess with boundary lines in the Bible. You don't mess with people's boundary lines. That's theirs. This is yours. Don't mess with it. Good fences make good neighbors, right? My family and I live off that rule and fish and visitors smell in three days. And between those two, we kind of get it covered, right? Oh, okay. Y'all don't think that's as funny. <laughs> don't visit me for four days or you'll start to smell. And then it won't be funny anymore. So we have boundary lines um, with our neighbors, but we also have boundary lines in relationships. And that's the most important thing I want to talk about is the relational boundary lines and how we set those. Because what I found is that as Christians, we don't set boundaries, and when we do, we feel what? Guilty. Very, very guilty. Like we are being unloving or like we are being unchristian if we say no or if we let someone experience consequences, then we're not loving people the way Jesus asked us to love them, which was with ev like ourselves, right? But if you notice Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, what does that imply? that you're being loving to yourself. 
And oftentimes we forget that we are supposed to be loving to ourselves, that we're supposed to have these boundaries. And in fact, boundaries come from where? They come from God. God didn't create us and put us into a world without boundaries. When God established the world, he made boundaries. Boundaries are what made the world good. Think back to creation. It's all about boundaries. The first boundary God sets is a boundary of time. Day and night are different, right? And God says, your day, your night. There's a boundary of time. Then there's geographic boundaries. The people of Israel were terrified of the sea. We'll talk about that more, but I just want you to remember, whenever you read the Bible, the only group in the ancient Near East that didn't have vessels to go out on the sea, they might fish and they come back. They were terrified, okay? And so God says in the creation account to these people who fear the sea, see, you have a boundary. This far, no further. And so God is seen as in control of this, right? I'm not going to let the sea jump up on the land and swallow you, that thing you're afraid of. It has a boundary, and it won't cross it. And then, so there's the time boundaries, there's the geography boundaries, there's some social boundaries that God sets, some hierarchical boundaries. So the air, God fills it with birds and says, birds, multiply because the air is yours. The sea, God fills it with creatures of the sea, all the fish, and says, multiply fish, this is your domain. The earth, God fills the earth with all these beautiful creatures and says, this is your terrain, it's yours, fill it and multiply. And then over people, he says, all of this world I've created, all of its structure is yours. Guard, protect, take care of it. So there's a structure there with people at the top and then all the birds and animals and then the time and all that that we're supposed to live into. There's boundaries. Then there's some spiritual boundaries, right, that God puts in creation. Remember how God works for six days and then what does he do on the seventh? Stops. He rests. And so that's another boundary of time. But for me, the Sabbath is much more of a spiritual thing because I have to trust God enough to stop my anxious toil and trust God for one day to stop. So it's a spiritual thing that he models for us. And then when he sets out all the food, all this great food, right? And you can eat all of it except that tree over there that will give you the knowledge of good and evil. That will kill you, God says. Don't eat that. So what was the first sin? Is to see the boundary line and say, this is all mine and that is God's and I want God's. I'm going to take that. Remember, every time we pray the Lord's Prayer, what do we say? Forgive us our trespasses. Isn't that interesting? Trespass. That means there was a boundary line. I crossed it illegally. I knew it was there. Forgive me, Lord, when I step over someone else's boundaries and trespass in their soul. Forgive me when I trespass on your law that I know is right and good. Forgive me. So, the, so Adam and Eve go over. They, they step over that line. They eat the fruit. And all of a sudden, God was right. They do know good and evil. And it's bad. And all of the creation is broken because of that sin. And so we are stamped with sin. We carry around the yuck of our sins, and what does God do? Because God is holy, and the holy God cannot have sin in his presence. So that time when they were walking hand in hand in the garden, now Adam and Eve are hiding behind fig leaves, and they're stamped with sin, and sin can't be in God's presence. So notice this. What does God say? Oh, that's okay. Forget about that boundary. Go ahead and drag your filth into my presence. 
No, God never moves the boundary that says sin can't be in the presence of God. He just begins to work with the people to redeem them, to show them the right way to live, to help them to walk that way, to interact with them with prayer, to help them atone when they mess up. And ultimately sends us Jesus Christ, his own son. God comes here himself so that he can live the perfect life, so that he can die, so that you can be clean. And you can enter into the presence of God. And I can. And do you notice that God didn't, when we messed up, God didn't move the boundary. He made a way for us to still have a relationship. But the boundary didn't change. And oftentimes we are really wishy-washy about our boundaries. And when we do that, we might think that we're trying to follow after Jesus, but we need to be really clear that it's okay to have boundaries. And it's okay to realize when people trespass. We'll talk about forgiveness. We need to forgive, but maybe not let them do that again. Okay? So how do you have good boundaries? Well, first of all, you need to be rooted in the Word of God because that's how God taught His people where the boundaries should be. If you don't know the Word of God, if you're not praying every day, if you're not reading little bits of Scripture, then when those decision points come in your life, you're going to kind of be on your own, like just kind of guessing, I wonder what God would want me to do here. And I love this. Um, I want to show you a picture from Israel. Um, here you go. This is your picture from Israel of a hotel room. Um, that little gold thing is a mezuzah. Have you all ever heard of a mezuzah? Um, it's on every Jewish doorpost. It's got the letter Shem on it, and it reminds the people, the Jewish people, of Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 9, where God says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. Right? And then God says, this is the part we don't remember, these commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. <laughs> Impress them on your children, right? Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols to your hands. That's why if you've ever seen those phylacteries on the Orthodox Jewish people tying the prayer boxes to their heads and to their hands, that's why they're doing that because of this. Tie them as symbols to your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And so the idea of this mezuzah is that every time I walk through every doorway in my house, every time I walk into every, any business, any store, any, anywhere in life, I remember, keep God's commandments. And now the Jewish people will touch that mezuzah every time they go through a door to remind themselves the word of God is to be impressed on my heart. That is the number one thing you need when you make decisions is the word of God, to know God's will in your life. It doesn't happen overnight. It happens by daily being in God's presence, right? So that's the first thing. The second thing to know is about words is about what your priorities are. What are your priorities? And we know those here, but when we put them into action, a lot of times they get all messed up. And so we end up spending our time and our resources and giving our emotions to things that aren't at the top of our priority list. And so somebody will say, hey, can you help out with the neighborhood association? We're doing this thing, and that's a good thing to do. And we feel guilty, and so we say, yes, we will. And that means that then when somebody says, hey, can you volunteer and help the kids at church? We say, I don't have time. Or can you join a Bible study? I don't have time. And so we have to know what God's will is for our life and what our priorities are. And that's a whole different sermon, but God needs to be first. 
Love God with all you are, right? That's what the commandments say. That's what the scriptures say. Love God. Your family has to be second. And then your work. Friends come in there somewhere. You guys get to figure that out. The rest of the list, okay? But you have to think about that. And then you finally get to your boundary words, which are two. They're two very simple words. What are the boundary words? Two ways to answer any question. Yes and no. Yes and no. And both should be part of our vocabulary as Christians. Yes and no. And I would want you to remember that when you say yes to something, that implies a no to other things. And when you say no to something, that's a yes to other things. Okay? And just give yourself the permission to use both of those words in your life. The yes and the no. Not just recklessly, foolishly, because we are not called to be callous people. We are called to be compassionate and merciful. But Jesus used both yes and no, and God did too, right? And so we can use both of those words. And sometimes just remembering if I say no to this, it's just because I want to say yes to something else. That's important. Okay, geographical distance. Um, what a fun boundary, right? Putting space between you and a problem person is okay. That is, if they need to be shipped off to El Paso, El Paso has lots of room for those kinds of people. <laughs> Poor El Paso. It's just like my whipping boy whenever I need someone. I actually have some people from El Paso that will be listening to this podcast. I'm sorry. You're wonderful people. Um, the distance is about 600 miles. Somebody told me they just drove that. The interesting thing to me is when I was interviewing couples um, about in-laws, right? I told you I interviewed all these couples who've been married over 30 years in this congregation. I was interviewing them, and I asked them a lot of questions. I said, tell me about in-laws. And half of them said, my in-laws are the most wonderful, godly people I've ever met, and I miss them every day of my life. And I was just like, wow, praise God. That must be a different generation because, like, my generation is tearing their hair out with their in-laws, right? But then half of the people who responded said, well, we had some serious problems with our in-laws, and then we moved to Dubai. <laughs> and they said, and I am not kidding, at least five couples in our church said, the best way to deal with in-laws is move. Let that soak in. There's biblical precedent for this. Jacob's having trouble with his father-in-law, Laban. He starts to see, as the Bible put it delicately, delicately, Laban's attitude towards him had changed, right? And so he's noticing this, and God says, it's time to go back to your own land David beats a hasty retreat. Laban chases him, and instead of getting into a big fight, what they do is they put a boundary stone. And they say, this is our truce line. Jacob, you won't cross this way. Laban, you won't cross this way. And peace be upon both our houses, right? It eliminates the threat, and the stone stands there as we will never cross this way again, right? Geographical distance. What a beautiful thing. One of the, um, I went to Asbury Seminary, and people say, why did you choose that? And, you know, I got a scholarship, so that helped. But the, the main thing was that Kevin and I decided wherever we go, we're, we're going to go somewhere not in Texas. Because our first year of marriage, our first years, we're just going to be on our own. And we're going to either figure this thing out or we're going to go down in flames, right? We're going to do it together on our own. Now, this isn't just true with your in-laws. This can be really true if you have an unhealthy friendship 
If there is someone who every time you're around them, they might be in your family, they might be a friend, they might be a neighbor, you turn into your worst self, did you realize it's okay to add space? To intentionally not go somewhere if you think they're going to be there. That's okay. That might help you be your best self to just not be around that person. Um, especially if you know someone who's struggling with addiction. Many, many people who have struggled with alcoholism have told me that after they get sober, they actually either have to change towns or they have to completely change friends because the friends who were with them when they were getting drunk all the time are going to pull them back. And sometimes they have gone back to those friends and been pulled back into alcoholism. And so when they get clean again, they realize, I have to start all over. So just remember how geographical space can, can be a blessing. Okay, next, next boundary. It's really hard. It's your time. And I suspect if you're anything like me, um, you don't have a whole lot of copious spare time. Sometimes I say that. I'm like, I'll get to that in my copious spare time, making a joke that I don't have copious spare time. Um, when I was very young in ministry, 25 years old, had a young family, a new baby, one on the way, I was invited to do a lot of things in our annual conference, which is our larger group of churches. And it's very flattering for people to notice you, say, oh, you're doing good work. Would you come and help us recruit young clergy? Would you come um, to seminaries and help us interview people? Would you be on the board of ordained ministry? Would you lead this, lead this Emmaus walk? I mean, flattering, life-changing things. Everything that I was being asked to do had the potential to change people's lives, to invite them into relationship with Christ. What was the problem? Well, the problem was that I was a full-time pastor at First Church San Angelo. And I was trying to be a new mom to a baby and I was trying to, every time somebody would say something good and it was a good and worthy thing, I would say, yes. And so I was gone all the time. And finally, Kevin sat me down one day when he actually saw me. He put his hands on my knees and he said, this isn't working. What are we going to do about all these different things? And and I didn't, I kind of felt like it wasn't working, but I didn't know that until he said that. And he said, I think we, I love how he does that because he's not like, you are really having a problem. He said, we are going to have to say no. And that's when I, at 25 years old, I started learning that there are things in life just because of time, good, meaningful, life-giving things that you will have to say no to. Just because you can't do it all. And again, if you have your priorities straight, you're going to say yes to the best, most awesome things. I learned to say yes to being your pastor, to pastoring the church I was at, because you are the people that God has put in my care. And anytime I go out and away, I make sure I pick one thing. I'm on the board of ordained ministry now because I felt like that had the most impact in changing people's lives outside of the conference. Anything else, I have to use the word no just because of time. You do the same thing. Pick what the most important things are. Pick things that impact the kingdom of God. Pick things that change relationships, that build joy into your life and the life of others. Choose those things and give your time to them. Now be very, very careful because one of the biggest challenges for our time, I'm just going to name it out loud right now, is TV and the internet. Mm. Just got the rest of y'all. 
And you have to remember, if you're saying no, you know, can, can you serve on the hospitality team? Could you be an usher? No, I don't have time. And then you go home and you're like, for the next three hours? Mm. You know, there's time that we all need to decompress. But man, I, and I love Downton Abbey, okay? And I've got my little shows I watch. I know y'all watch Dancing with the Stars and American Idol. And, you know, we all have our thing. But you have to watch that because that'll suck your time more than anything else, TV and the Internet, okay? Here's, a, here's one that I wasn't going to talk about and I just felt like I needed to talk about again and again, so I'm going to add it back in. Consequences. Did you know that letting people feel consequences is a boundary, is setting a boundary? As Christians, a lot of times what we do is um, we see somebody about to experience the consequences of their action and we're like Superman. You know, we jump in right on top of them while something's about to fall on them and it doesn't hit them, it hits who? You, right? Here I come to save the day and you do save the day and that person's like, awesome. And you're like, ow. And that's okay to save people every now and then, but I'm worried about the repeat offenders. The people who um, you work with who always seem to know that a deadline is approaching and ignore it until the day before it's there and then say, oh my gosh, I'm never going to finish. Please, can you help me? And you stay up until 2 in the morning helping them finish their project for the sake of the team. And I know some of you out there who have done this. Can you talk to me? Or you have a kid who has not learned how to deal with money, runs up their credit card bill, and you vow, I'm going to let them experience that, and then they run up the credit card bill and they call you crying, and you write a check. If we keep saving people from the consequences of their behavior, will they ever feel the pain and want to change? No, because who feels the pain? You do. <laughs> now, I'm not saying be callous, but if you see repeated behavior where people are not bearing the consequences and you're always stepping in, sometimes just helping someone get well is helping them feel the consequences of their actions. And that can even be emotional. That if you yell at me, it hurts. And I may not want to be around you so that you'll do that again. Okay, emotional boundaries. Boundaries aren't walls. Um, they're porous, they have gates. And the point of boundaries isn't that we just build a wall and keep the world out. The point of boundaries is that we let what is good for our lives in and we close the gate when the harmful comes knocking. So let me get to that thing about forgiveness because forgiveness trips so many of us up as Christians. We are called to forgive. You are called to forgive. There is no exception clause. God, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass, those who cross the boundaries who hurt us. We are called to forgive. You are called to do that so that you can be free of the hatred, of the anger, of the vengeance, and just put that in God's hands and walk away a clean person. And the amazing thing is that couples in our congregation have talked about great sins and transgressions and trespasses that one has committed against the other, that the other spouse found the ability to forgive. And their relationship today is stronger than it's ever been. And that's because the one that trespassed against that one, this one forgave, and this one changed. Changed their behavior. 
Remember when John the Baptist is baptizing people, the Pharisees come to be baptized, the Pharisees. And he says, show fruit in keeping with repentance. I mean, I can't imagine a pastor, somebody comes up to be baptized and you're like, no, you are not living like you want to be forgiven. And that's what John says is show fruit. If you want to be forgiven, then act like it. Live like it. Don't just come dunk yourself in the water and say, all done, and go back to your life. And it's the same way with people who trespass against us, is we need to forgive them no matter what. If they are still depraved, ugly, spiteful people, forgive them anyway. That's about your heart. But you don't have to let them in your gate. You don't have to let them back in. You don't have to be their doormat. You don't have to let them hurt you again. God doesn't want that. Jesus says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Be as gentle as doves and as crafty as serpents. I think we do the dove part okay. We need to do the serpent too. Crafty. Don't let people who trespass harm you again. Forgive them. And if you see the fruit of repentance, let them back in. If you don't, okay to close the gate. The final thing with boundaries is boundaries let the good in. They let the good in. And oftentimes the reason we hold on to negative relationships is because we are afraid. We're afraid that this is as good as it's going to get or that something is better than nothing. And so we hold on to hurtful relationships because we don't want to be alone. And so when God calls us, he pulls us into a community. There are communities of believers all over this county, all over this state, all over the world. And God has brought you to this community, which is a beautiful thing because these are authentic, trustworthy people sitting around you. These are people who, if you say, man, I've been hurt, they're going to say, I got your back. Let me stand back here and guard your back so that nobody hurts you again. Let me love on you and show you what an authentic, real relationship is like. And so I invite you, I know that's scary, but I invite you to open up to each other too and to lean on each other and to support each other. If somebody's got your back today, I promise you next year you're going to have somebody else's back. That's what we do for each other. If one of us falls, we lift that person up. That's what we do. So remember, to create the world, God created it with boundaries. That God has boundaries and wants us to honor them always makes a way for us to approach him, but does have boundaries, right? Boundaries allow life to flourish. They allow us to be our best selves, but only if they're in play. So remember to create those boundaries of your words, of geography, of time, consequences, and emotions. So that we can say, like the psalmist so long ago, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would help us um, to create and know when to create boundaries, to use our words, yes and no, very carefully, um, and in the best way, the most honoring way for you. Lord, I pray that you would especially help us with people who trespass, who have broken our hearts and hurt us, that you would help them to help us to forgive them, that we would see the fruit of repentance in their lives. And if we don't, that we would be strong enough to keep the gate closed until we do. But Lord, most of all, I pray that as you put us into this church family together, we would help strengthen each other, that we would have each other's backs, 
that this would be a place where we would care for each other, we would help each other to be strong, and we would all say together that our boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places. We ask this in your name. Amen. Okay, I'm going to invite you all to stand up. We're going to sing our closing song. And um, I'm going to have to run off because I'm going to a sermon writing workshop. And my plane leaves in two hours, and it's going to take me an hour to get there. So, love y'all. And Greg's going to give the benediction, okay? Let's sing. Sure.